Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How is everybody doing? I hope you said good. I'm doing good. I'm doing well. Well well is the word, huh? Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'll be your host for the next hour. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, but we have 45 members on our team, and we are spread around the state of California, so if you have a paranormal need, or you think you might have a paranormal need, we can get to you, no matter where you're at. So that's a big plus. The other thing is, if you live in the states of Nevada, Oregon, Washington, and Hawaii, we also have branches out in those states as well, where we can help you out. In. Welcome to the show. we got a great show lined up for you tonight. Uh, for those of you in, who have uh, made requests and are interested, uh, Saturday, September 3rd, I will be teaching a Psychic Development class. That would be Psychic, psychic Development 1 for basic Psychic Development class. If you think you might have Psychic Abilities, this is a class to take. Uh, and I'll teach you how to hone your abilities and start using them. And it's, it's a really fun class through various exercises. On Saturday, on Saturday, September 10th at, 3, at 5 p.m., I'm also teaching more advanced classes, Psychic Development 2, okay? That takes a, that takes Psychic Development stuff you learn in the first class and puts you into other things to where you can learn Clear Audience. If you have Clear Audience, Clear Sentience, and, and, and the different Psychic Abilities, and you can figure out which one best suits your abilities. So that's Psychic Development 2, and I take you through that and show you how to use them, and we have special exercises and, you know, workshops and everything during the class, so... Yeah, if it's something you're interested in, join us. It's 5 p.m. on both those days, 5 p.m. Pacific. And the way to sign up is California Haunts has a meetup. So you go to California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team meetup and sign up for meetup. Meetup's free. You don't have to pay any fees to sign up for meetup. It's all free. And then you can find the announcements over there when these classes are going to be and everything. And you can uh, get your spots on the classes, for the classes. Also, if you're watching from Facebook, please hit that follow button. If you're watching from Twitter, same thing. If you're watching from YouTube, there is a little ghost at the bottom right-hand corner that has a magnifying glass on and a, <laughs> it doesn't have a glass on. It has a Sherlock Holmes hat on and it's holding a magnifying glass. The big difference in the way I phrase that. That is our mascot. And if you click on that, you will be privy to when new videos come out. There are more than 350 videos over on YouTube. Over on YouTube, YouTube yeah. Ugh. YouTube page, and each video has a different kind of topic. It's not all paranormal. I am a journalist, photojournalist by trade, and I like to vary the topics on the show. So I think there's a little something for everybody over there on the YouTube page. If you want to visit our website at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com or the paranormal website for the, for the paranormal team at CaliforniaHaunts.org. Lots of California haunts in there, right? Also, if you want to find me, drop me a note or anything like that, you can do it from the radio site. Or you can look for me on Facebook, or you can look for California Haunts on Facebook. See? It's that easy. Anyway, tonight I have a great guest, Matt, um, Mark Munsey, and uh, he has some interesting stories to tell about the state of Florida. And uh, Florida's been fascinating to me because uh, if there's some other place I would live other than California, it would either be Florida or Hawaii because of the climate. 
you know, because I don't like it too hot. I don't like it too cold. So I want to live in a place where it's just nice and moderate and more on the tropical side. And I know a friend of mine lived in Florida for a long time and she loved it. She always wanted to go back to Florida. Never had the chance to get to Florida. So I just got Disney World. That's what it would have all my money. Gone. Off to Orlando. Gone. But uh, yeah, so uh, he's got some interesting stories to tell us about Florida. All right. So let me bring him in. And here we go. Hello, sir. Hi, gang. How are y'all? I think everybody's doing great. I'm so glad to have you on. I'm so excited. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I don't know who told you Florida is a temperate climate uh, or tropical (laughs) climate. Florida has, we're in the middle of our ninth month of August, uh, where it's uh, 97 degrees with a feels like of 150. uh, And yeah, like 110% humidity. Yeah. And then we have that nice, refreshing, really hot rain for about an hour every afternoon. And then it just gets more humid. Yeah, it's a lot like Hawaii. It's It's very similar. Yeah, I was like, I know people. I went to Hawaii. It was the same thing, except there you don't have as many mosquitoes and and uh, you know and uh, and uh, alligators. So that was the best thing about Hawaii. That was when it rained. It was a warm rain. You didn't freeze your butt off like you do here. Even in the summer, when it rains here in the summer, it's cold. Yeah, we get our we get our three random days of winter sometime in (laughs) January or February, uh, and then yeah, and then. And then that's yeah. We don't get a spring. We get summer junior, and Absolutely. then and then we get full summer. So there you go. There you go. See, that's what that's what I'm talking about. That's what I need. Okay. I need that. Well, then you're you're welcome. I just don't like <laughs> humidity, so I'd have to have an air conditioner. I don't. Oh, that's cool. we. None of us leave our house from February till <laughs> you know the following February. We we just yeah we all stay in our house for that. We live for those three random days of winter. So it's one of my drawbacks with Hawaii is because they they don't have the ACs. They have the oh I know. I oh couldn't God, believe I that when I went out there. I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, I can't wait to get back to my cold hotel room on my first <laughs> trip there. And then I'm like, what? There's no AC? Oh. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah. No. I would die. Absolutely die. Oh, man. No, that's, that's the end of the world for me. Yeah. You could tell fans were not designed by Southerners because they're yeah. like, oh, we have three speeds. Well, we only need one high. And it, and it oscillates. No, it just needs to point right at me. And and then they're like, oh, and it has a timer. It goes off when it when we go to sleep. What the hell is wrong with you? Why would you want that? It needs to be on all the time. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, I spent some time uh, in Ohio. Ah. And I get the storms. You know, like like those real hot thunderstorms. Oh yeah. From the heat, lightning, and everything, and the, and the humidity. Oh my, oh my, oh my. But that's okay. You know, yeah. I think for a place like Florida or Hawaii, it's a trade off. Okay. You got, you know, you got the ambiance and the view. So you got to trade off something. Yeah. You know? Well, well, I like to describe Florida, you know, for, for my spooky tales, you know, because like I said, I'm a folklorist. I'm a parajournalist. I, mm-hmm. I go with paranormal teams. I, I am not a parapsychologist. I am not a Bigfoot hunter. I am not a UFO hunter. I go with UFO hunting teams, parapsychology teams, ghost hunting teams, Bigfoot hunting teams, and I get their stories. And, there you go. And, and then I'm also a folklorist. So I dig into... Why is this here? Why was that there? And where does this legend come from? And so the way I describe Florida is if you look at it from space at night is probably the easiest way to describe Florida. So, you know, because we're the space coast, everything flies up out of here. And, you you know, and you look down at Florida from above and you see all the bright lights on the beaches because that's where, you know, the money is. That's where everybody lives on the beaches. And then you get 
the big bright spots right near the beaches. And that's the big cities that support the beaches, the, the Jacksonville's, the Miami's, the Fort Lauderdale's, the Tampa, you know, St. Pete, uh, Pensacola, you know, all these, you know, major towns that support the beaches. And then you get, it gets a little darker around those areas, but still pretty bright. And that's the, the sprawl, the, the suburbs the, that support the big cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as it, and those are encroaching. And then you've got right in the heart is Orlando with the, oh, all the theme parks and it just, it's exploding. So that's really bright too. But then if you look at the rest of the state, it's like ventricles of a heart where it's pretty dark with just some white splotches of light. And that's, you know, the Everglades mm-hmm. in the South. And then you've got the, uh, the national forest. You've got the Mayaka state forest. You've got the Ocala national forest, which is one of the largest, you know, state forests in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, um, you know, we've got the, the green swamp, which is home of Florida's aquifer, you know, and then Lake Okeechobee, you know, it's you know, another big dark spot. And that's where it gets weird, right? That's where all the weird stuff is. That's the, you know, the dark spots. And what most people don't realize is, you know, everybody thinks, you know, Patterson Gimlin, they think Bigfoot's all up in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Well, Ocala and Mayaka have more sightings in the last five years than anything in the Pacific Northwest for Sasquatch and Bigfoot. Really? And yeah, the Ocala National Forest is huge hotspot right now. And um, teams are out there investigating all the time. And but but Florida can't have nice things. We have to rename everything that comes here. Right. That's that's our thing. You know, we we don't have Sasquatch down here. We don't have Bigfoot down here. He's, he's he lives in the swamps. He smells bad. So we call him the skunk ape. And that's, you know, you know, Florida does that to all of our monsters. We have a we have a Nessie in the St. John's River that's been around for hundreds of years. And it and it's this sea serpent with a big, long tail and it's about the width of a pair uh, of a flower barrel, according to early sightings. Um, I had a big shell on its back. And it sank a steamship in the 1800s. It, uh, you know, and then in the 1900s, it was, you know, in the early 1900s, it was seen by early cars across the St. John's River where it caused a car accident. And then um, in the 1970s, it was most famously seen sticking its head up out of the lake, Lake Majority up near Sanford. And, um, and it, to the point where it, it scared a lady so bad that she had almost had a heart attack. Uh, but she described it as having these eye stalks or horns on its head and jowls like a camel. And, uh, but she described it the color of boiled shrimp and all the other describing, you know, previous descriptions had said it was also, you know, pink, bright pink. So it's now bino of something. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of calling it the St. John's river monster or the beast of St. John's or something like that, no, Florida calls him pinky. So, you know, so that's you think, the, like you think these things exist because I mean the, the, you got it's, it's like California Northern California it's all woods you know there's like nobody up there in the middle of nowhere but you guys still have that with the Everglades and, and those other for, you know those other forest areas so do you think that you know that it's a logical thing that these things might exist up there I I believe so, I believe some things out there that we mm-hmm. haven't found yet I mean we found some weird things all the time. You know, out there, uh, you know, you know, right now, of course, it's invasive species mostly that are are out there, um, as particularly down the Everglades. But uh, Dave Sheely, who runs the Skunk Ape headquarters down in the Everglades, if you ever go to Everglades City, it's this 
you know, place in the middle. It's awesome. He has the world's second largest python in there and stuff mm-hmm. that they caught in the wild. Uh, but he has footage early. I want to say it was like 2000 or 2000, uh, 2006. I don't remember. But he has footage of something strange running through the Everglades swamp that looks it's not like, you know, uh, a Sasquatch that we would think, you know, you know, classic Patterson Gimlin. This mm-hmm. is more lanky and lean and uh, bright orange, almost like orangutan uh, coloring. And it moves with really long, floppy arms. And uh, and it's moving through two foot deep water, you know, snake infested, alligator infested swampland. And he filmed, you know, and most think, you know, Patterson Gimlin's like 30 seconds, you know, and right. most most skunk ape footage is a few seconds. He films that thing for like six minutes and, and it's clear and you can see it pretty well. And I'm so surprised people don't talk about that footage much. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And then, um, you know, so, so whatever he caught there, if that's a hoax, you know, somebody was risking life and limb for something that, you know, was a possible never to be seen. So I'm not sure why they would do that. And it's moving through that water so fast. If that was a dude in a furry costume, I don't know how he did it. You know, so, um, so that, you know, I, so I like to think, yeah, there's weird stuff out there. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, and the stories go back, you know, hundreds of years. And yeah. that's uh, um, our most famous is uh, that, but yeah, I, I like to say it's the most famous, but a lot of people don't even know about it. Uh, it's called the Ochizi Pond incident, and that was in the uh, late 1800s. A uh, place—it's a, a lake up in the Panhandle called Ochizi, uh, which is you know a native term that you know has been lost to time for translation. So, but the people still call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a settlement on that land, and they were noticing stuff was missing. They kept you know losing food. They kept losing clothing. They and and livestock, you know, mostly. So they sent out a, 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 a posse thinking they were going to catch some native or, you know, somebody who's you know, living out there. And, mm-hmm. and what they catch, according to the paper account at the time, newspaper, is this eight foot tall, hairy wild man, the wild man of a cheesy pond. So eight foot tall, hairy wild man. You know, that sounds pretty familiar yeah. to, you know, modern, you know, solvers. <laughs> And what they did was they they chain him up. And so there's this great illustration from the paper of these two guys with like muskets and they're like this tall and, you know, like, you know, maybe, you know, five foot. And then the the big gorilla thing, you know, eight foot tall above them. And it's in a cage where the cage only goes up to its waist and their guns are only going up to its shoulders. That's what their full muskets drawn. And it's, ah, you know, so they chain it. They, They don't know what to do with it. You know, what do we do with this thing? So they got it in this cage. They say, send it to the governor in Tallahassee. That's not too far. So they tie it to the back of a stagecoach, you know, the cage. So I'm picturing like a U-Haul on the back of a stagecoach as it goes to the governor's office. The governor signs for it. We have the documents. The governor signed for it. And then, and he's like, I don't know what to do with this. Send it to the insane asylum. So they send it to the Florida home for the, for the insane and um, which is now Florida State Hospital. Um, and uh, and there it's we have the records. It's it's brought in John Doe, basically. Uh, and um, I, I think it just has an X, you know, and uh, and then he's taken to be shaved. 
And then the only other record we have is when he died three months later. And they buried him in the pauper's graves. So we'd love to dig up the pauper's graves. The problem is the Florida hospital built their main new building over the pauper's graves in 1920. So uh, with no word that they ever moved the bodies. So, and now it's this giant stone edifice and there's no way it's ever coming down. Um, So, um, so Florida's captured Bigfoot. You know, the first recorded captured Bigfoot anywhere made national papers, you know, um, but they just called it the wild man, you know, so. Wow, wow. You know what I was thinking, too, when you say, and this is what people have to understand about the Everglades in those areas. When you say that this, these things were seen running through the water, even if even yep. two feet of water, there's so much muck and mud. It's like a vacuum. Oh, it's- yeah, it's it, you, you. I walk out there with you know waiters and you know in, with teams, and you get sucked down into that. I mean, yeah. there's and there's some spots that go down 30, 40 feet, you know, because of sinkholes and stuff. You don't even realize it. You know, you're just walking through. Oh, I'm walking through ankle deep. Oh, you know, and now you're gone. You know, and that's why so many people disappear down there. Uh, on top of other reasons, you know, uh, we've got our fair share of alien abductions, hauntings, gangsters, murders, serial killers, you name it. Florida's got it all. So, And sawgrass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's nothing more unpleasant than sawgrass. Sawgrass, uh, you know, and then, you know, now we've got meth mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, uh, in Ocala National Forest, which, like I said, Bigfoot Central, uh, is also a naval bombing range where they bomb with live bombs in the middle of the national forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also uh, there are monkeys that are loose there from when they filmed Tarzan back in the day. Uh, they let them loose at the end of filming and it was a breeding pair. And now they have a form of herpes that is deadly to humans. So, you know, yeah, one of the many other ways Florida's trying to kill you. So, when you go Bigfoot hunting, watch out for monkeys. (laughs) Son of Bigfoot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, and that's just it. It's, you know, know, we have a lot of challenges when we do these things, too. You know, know, when you're going on these investigations and hunts, because they're so crazy, the things that, you know, that are there now, you know, and and some have been there for, you know, the you know, alligators have been here since the dinosaur times. So, mm-hmm. and they ain't changed at all and they ain't planning on changing anytime soon. So, you know, and then we've got our fair share of sharks and monsters and, you know, other sea creatures out in the beaches. So, uh, record number of shark attacks this year, you know, so yeah. Florida wants to kill you. And, and if that doesn't get you, then the interstates will. There you go. <laughs> now, when you started getting into this i want to say hobby you know looking into the eerie part of florida where did you start because it seems like there's just so much to go you know go go through well originally it all kind of started when uh we were i was working at uh halloween horror nights before it was called horror nights when it was called universal's fright nights um its first year and we went up there to scare people and just had a fun time scaring people i've always been fascinated with the unknown and spooky. One of my earliest childhood memories is some strange encounter in Ohio, uh, my family home where uh, I saw a dark figure and it fascinated me for life. So I've always been fascinated with ghosts and stuff, but I, you know, we, we did universal and then I became a dad 
and uh, was like, uh, oh, well, I guess I can't keep going up and scaring people at Universal. I'll get a day job, you know, down here, but I'll build my own haunted house mm-hmm. uh, in my backyard. And I wanted to base it on local lore and legends. It was just something I had heard uh, a couple bigger haunts had done where they had gotten some traction by basing it on a local legend. So I was mm-hmm. like, well, there's plenty of legends here in Florida. I knew a couple, you know, and, um, and we started digging a grave out in the yard and we found bones and we were like, Oh, Oh wait, we found a crime scene. So we called the police, the police came out and they said, no, this is an archeological site. So I was excited because I'm a history buff. So we got the, uh, university came and sent a historian out and they start doing some, an, an anthropologist, and they start doing some digging. And they go, oh, this is a shell midden. These aren't human bones. This was alligator bones and stuff like that. So this is obviously, you know, where, you know, a, a native tribe had left their, you know, had just made a big pile of garbage, basically. And, you know, and we bulldozed it and, you know, built houses on it. So, but then she goes, I'm just glad it wasn't one of the lost cemeteries. And I'm like, what was that? Lost lost cemeteries? I, I have never heard of this. And she's like, oh, yeah, Tampa Bay is full of lost cemeteries. You know, people would come in, settle, build a, uh, you know, build a town and, you know, and, and, you know, make a family plot. And then one of those wonderful hurricanes or typhoons would come through or the natives would come through and shoot a bunch of arrows at them and they would leave. And then a couple of years, you know, and the buildings would fall into ruin. And then a couple of years later, more settlers would move down and go, hey, wow, look at all this flat land. Let's put up a new town. Let's put up a house. Let's put up a church. And shifting over the old cemeteries and not realizing it. And so that happened over and over again. Um, so as they tear down buildings and they put up new things, we find lost cemeteries, usually old slave cemeteries that weren't really well marked, usually old, you know, Civil War graves that, you know, from the stations that were down here. We didn't see much action in Civil War, but there were a lot of troops down here that got lost in these swamps, got lost in these things. Um, But when we built the stadium downtown St. Petersburg, they found four of them. So, you know, and that's that's just kind of the thing. So I was like, oh, one of them was called Hillview. And so the Tales from the Crypt fandom, he said, well, we'll make ours Hellview and that'll be our, we'll be the lost cemetery of Hellview. And, um, and that was what we based on. We based on for 20 years, I ran that haunt out of my backyard. And we based it on local lore and legend. Instead of having a werewolf jump out at you, we had the skunk ape jump out at you. Instead of a vampire, we had Madame Moore, this infamous bordello owner in Tampa that I made her from dusk till dawn. Because uh, Teddy Roosevelt hated her so much, he burned down her bordello. So wow. you, you got to be pretty badass to piss off Teddy Roosevelt that much, right? Yeah. So um, so I was like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll do all this. And then after 20 years, we had like 10,000 people a weekend walking through my backyard for charity. Uh, so they shut us down as, as you do. And, um, but I had all these stories, mm-hmm. you know, that we'd been collecting. I used to have a link on the website, send me your stories, you know, we, we'll put them in the haunt. And um, that's when I was like, you know what? I'm, my first love was writing. I did that back high school, early college days to pay some bills. I'll get back to it. You know, my kids are all grown up now. I got time. And, um, and that's what became, um, we did 31 Tales of Hellview, which was a spooky version of the legends. Then we did Tales of Terror, Tampa Bay, which was a bit more historical. I do the history history, but then still do the spooky version. 
and that's when history press reached out to us and said can you just do the, the those histories were amazing and we'd love to do that and that became our first bestseller and that was uh erie florida in uh 2016 and uh that then it then they were like hey remember you said you had all those extra stories because they told me i had to cut it down mm-hmm. and uh and that's when they you know let us do deeper dives and go crazy off the beaten path and that was when we did uh, freaky florida 2017 that became a huge hit and then of course after that they're like we just want ghosts for the next book because travel channel discovery channel is all ghosts we need to do nothing but ghosts uh so that became creepy florida 2019 and we were doing a follow-up book for that with ufos and stuff uh and 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 going into the dark skies of florida and i stumbled on a tie from a florida encounter to west virginia and the flatwoods encounter from 1952 and so i'm telling my publisher hey my next florida book's gonna have three chapters about ohio kentucky and west virginia is that okay and he's like no uh do your do your ohio kentucky west virginia book so uh we were ready 2020 to come out with erie appalachia but then the world ended and we had to you know, but that actually worked in our favor. We got to expand the scope of the book and do a lot more than I originally intended. And uh, so Erie Appalachia came out in June of this year and uh, with some pretty big revelations on some of the major ones like Mothman and Flatwoods. But then we also got some some new stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, and I got to bring up Holler Monsters, which is like my favorite thing. So that's, you know, the tour now we will be speaking at Dragon Con in a few weeks, uh, uh, Labor Day. And then Mothman Festival, I'll be the opening speaker at the Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant. So returning back to my roots. Yeah, uh, we had a sighting of the Mothman here in Sacramento. Yeah, he's he's back. Well, yeah, he's back. I like the, on the bridge. I was expecting the bridge to fall down. You know what I mean? You know, I thought, oh, boy, he's on the bridge. Here we go. You yeah. know, but. Nothing ever came of it. I don't know if the team went out to invent. My team didn't go out to check it out, but I guess the, I think there was another local team that went out to check it out, and they couldn't uh, get anything else on it. It was just somebody driving across the bridge uh, said they saw him. Yeah, and the description that um, they had is the more modern interpretation of them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go back to the classic pre-John Keel, uh, the original sightings, he is more described like a flying sasquatch than anything he's got muscly arms he's pulling his wings out of a barbed wire fence when they first see him and uh and giant legs and you know all that is lost in the modern versions where it's just big eyes and big wings and very psychedelic and all that um and that seems to be more the trend with the chicago sightings and uh, the ones that are further west uh but again you know down here in florida i get sightings of winged humanoids that you know i have to send teams for because i get up multiple sightings and of course some people have never seen a cormoran which is a bird that is a big bird that flies down here and it looks kind of like a gargoyle uh and um so that turns out to be the case more often than not but sometimes we find some unusual stuff that you know we can't describe so do you and... think because you know you've got the a big military presence there there's a big gov- you know government presence there do you think that some of the stuff that that is being seen could be experiments and stuff that just they let out? There's there's a there's a monster that has been seen down in the Everglades uh, called the Squallies, and these were big in the 1940s, 
and it was supposedly a government experiment gone wrong. It was, you know, it was an urban legend mm-hmm. of uh, because and what it was was in that area was where the nuclear silos were, uh, the early nuclear silos. And a lot of people didn't know that. You know, everybody thinks South Dakota and all the places out there. Florida had a bunch because Cuba was target number one and we didn't have long range missiles at that point. We needed some short range stuff. Um, so the Everglades was a hot zone. Um, it's been long abandoned and those facilities are still out there, but the squallies were these little pig headed men with spears and were almost tribal. Um, and they didn't predate, you know, like a lot of these legends, we can go back to the natives that were forced here. And, Mm -hmm. and some of them have folklore about, you know, little people and, you know, the moon eyed men and stuff like that. Uh, but, and they talk about the old men in the swamp, which was, you know, their, their Sasquatch, Bigfoot, uh, the wise men, uh, the wise ones. Uh, but this, they talk about, you know, they didn't talk about this. So this like showed up in the 1940s. And then in the 1980s, it's seen again a little further north, but it's a hell of a lot bigger. It's like, you know, six foot tall and it still has the pig head and it's still got the spears and like the loincloth. But it's and so it becomes the the boar man of Seminole Woods. Uh, and it's kind of lost, you know, it's luster right now, but mm-hmm. it had a big resurgence in the 80s. And uh, and so they tied it to the squallies in the 1940s. And if you follow it, it's just like going up the wildlife corridor, you know, 10 years later. So it's kind of neat. It's moving. Yeah. Uh, Also, if I remember something I read a while back, there's a lot of Native American influence in Florida as well. So you're getting the Native American legends too. Oh, yeah. And that's like some of them are amazing. Uh, My favorite is uh, there's a place up near Gainesville called the Devil's Millhopper. And um, what it is, there's a lot of devils in Florida. We've got the Devil's Tree in Port St. Lucie, which is tied to a serial killer, uh, Gerard John Schaefer. We've got the Devil's Chair in Casadega, which is a town founded by psychics Mm -hmm. and has more psychics and witches per capita than Salem. But that's mostly because there's only like 50 people who live there. Uh, But uh, yeah, and then uh, and they're all psychics or witches. Um, And then there's the Devil's uh, the Devil's Den which is a, you know, a nice place to go, uh, you know, swimming, mm-hmm. uh, the devil Springs. And then, uh, you know, and Tate's hell where a man got lost in the woods for 14 days and said, I've been through hell. So they named it Tate's hell, but this one, the devil's mill hopper is in outside of Gainesville. It's a sinkhole on top of another sinkhole. And that's another way Florida tries to kill you is the ground will just swallow you whole, yeah. uh, uh, for randomly. Uh, but this one, so it goes down almost a thousand feet. And into the ground in Florida. So, you, you, you know, and it's kind of neat. You go through several ecosystems as you go down. Um, and then down at the bottom, it's tropical rainforest, full tropical rainforest. And you get down there and there's all these waterfalls, especially depending on the time of year, if there's enough rains. Um, and down at the bottom is this lake kind of cesspool thing. And there were all these weird bones there. And so that's the early settlers. Oh, this is the entrance to the underworld. This is the river sticks. And those right. must be demon bones. Of course, they were dinosaur bones, but, you know, they didn't know what those were. Right. Um, so that's where it became the devil's millhopper. They didn't, they knew what a millhopper, they didn't know what a sinkhole was, but they knew what a millhopper was. And it looked like that. But the native legend there is so much better. Uh, it's, uh, there was a tribe there that uh, the princess was 
coming of age and all the warriors were trying to figure out who was going to marry her and you know uh you know the chieftain's daughter and um and this heaty this demon uh who was a former warrior came and he decided that she's mine and uh and said how i'm going to win back the tribe so he shape changed into an old lady and said come with me child i have to protect you and so she goes with her and then quickly realizes what's going on but he puts her under a spell and then he summons a great alligator to fight the men as the men are coming for her. So, you know, I love Kaiju alligators. You got to love that. Uh, and, uh, and they wind up killing it by cutting down this big tree and making it into a big spear and they kind of battering ram it. But when they get to him, he creates the earth, the open mouth of the earth and swallows them. And that's why they're all, they all get sucked down into the earth. And then while he's flying above, he turns into a giant, even a greater alligator and starts to eat the men. So they're all just falling into his mouth. And then that's when she grabs the spear and stabs him because she's right next to him so she can save herself. So this story has all the greats, right? You know, the princess saves herself. Uh, but sadly, when she gets to the top, you know, all their men are gone except for her father. And it's their tears or the waterfall that flows down into this place. Uh, and that's why the great dinosaur bone is, you know, is down there. You know, that's where they keep slaying the serpents and putting them down there. So they, the tribes have slayed all these great alligators and great demons. So dinosaur bones, you know, and, and that was how the natives explained it. So it's cool. You know, it's a great story, you know, so that, yeah. And, and the native uh, legend and it, people don't even realize they're not really legends. They're not folklore to them. That's, their way of life spirituality mm -hmm. is their life and you can't say oh it's their pantheon it's their religion no this is just this is the way things are and um I, I i refer to my good friend whenever i have a story comes up i have my go-to experts at the various tribes and generally my good friend al going back who is a bram stoker winning author of crota and a bunch of other great books uh, lifetime achievement award winner and uh but he's a seminal medicine man so he's my go to i'm like hey al is this a real story and he'll be like nope never heard that one uh but let's look into it and then or he'd be like yeah oh that one i know that one and uh, thanks for reminding me you know and stuff like that so what do you think is the scariest story that that you've heard oh geez there's some really good scary stories i think the scariest thing in florida is of course uh our good buddy robert the doll down in key west and we have to make a few rules here before we start talking about this. Robert, we love you. We think you're awesome. And uh, and you are you you are the best. And uh, we hope to see you again soon. So for the, your listeners who have no idea why I did that, uh, Robert is a doll that lives in Key West. He's in the Fort East Morello Museum. He was the childhood doll of, of Robert Eugene Otto. And... Um, and he, he was basically a very expensive doll for his day. Uh, he was made by the Steef Company from Germany, the same people who made teddy bears famous. Again, bring him back to A. Roosevelt. Uh, but, um, and uh, and this, you know, it was given to the boy, and the boy was playing with it. And, but weird things started happening. The servants were talking about unusual activity and stuff like that, and that the things were breaking. And uh, so they went. Robert, you got to stop breaking things and we're going to lose servants. And it's hard to get servants down here in Key West because it's a small town. And um, if they won't work for us, nobody will. And he goes, I didn't do it. Robert did it. And they're like, you're Robert. 
And he goes, no, I'm going to go by my middle name, Gene, because the doll wants to go by my name, Robert, and we don't want any more confusion. So nowadays, we'd have given that kid some Ritalin, and we wouldn't have had a story. But (laughs) instead, they indulged him uh, for a little while. But eventually, Robert the doll's antics were so much, they locked him in the attic, the turret room at the auto house. And, uh, And Gene was moved away overseas to to grow up and uh he came back to new york fell in love with a prominent singer and then he found out his mother was very ill so he had to move back to key west into the old house and once he got gene got back down there he went up to the attic and found his old buddy robert and they were inseparable much to his wife's chagrin uh, you know, uh, because now he had his best friend back and they would go all around town and, uh, they would go into restaurants and, uh, there would be special settings for Robert and Jean and, uh, poor Mrs. Otto had to wait five minutes. She wasn't allowed to come in when the others till after the entrance had, you know, they had made their main entrance. Um, eventually Jean passes away and of course Mrs. Otto can't sell the house fast enough and she locks the doll back in the attic uh, after several incidents as well. New owners come in. They buy the house. They find the doll. Hey, this is amazing. We got the creepy doll. This is fantastic. But even they can't handle it after a little while. And finally, some lady goes into the 40s Morello Museum who'd owned the house for a while, and she just hands them the doll and says, this is Robert the doll. I can't handle it. Bye. And they, they don't know what to do with it. So, they're, so they don't even put it on display for a little while. Uh, but Robert wants to be seen. Robert wants to be heard. So Robert starts showing up and standing behind people and freaking people out. And uh, so they eventually put him on display and they eventually figure out his rules. So the rules for Robert, very simple. It's like gremlins. You got, you know, these are simple rules. Number one, always be polite to Robert. Introduce yourself. Tell him your name, you know, you know, and, and say, you know, thank you, Robert. Thanks for letting us do this. Number two, don't take his picture without permission or bad things happen. So that includes video. That includes anything with his image, including making copies or illustrations. You know, always ask his permission. Three is say goodbye. It's part of step one, really, is just break that connection. When you're done, bye, Robert. Thanks for letting me see you, you know. And then the fourth rule is if you forgot steps one through three, this is your get out of jail clause because you will be cursed and you have to write Robert a letter and say, oh. dear Robert, I'm sorry, I screwed up. And that's the only way to break the curse. And people like, oh, that's baloney. That's goofy. He gets 100 letters a month of people apologizing to Robert for not believing him and taking his picture or doing something stupid with Robert. And. And you can just spend a day reading those letters. Those letters are amazing. Um, my, my favorite was, uh, Dear Sir Robert. I like to call him Sir. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry I made fun of your leather face and called it stupid. Leather is actually very nice for a face, and you are quite handsome. Uh, please remove your curse. We get the message. Please fix my eye, my Xbox, and my marriage. And I love that he put him in that order. Okay. And... Uh, and you read those letters, you're talking about car wrecks, train wrecks, plane crashes, lost luggage, 
you know, you know, lost lunches, you know, weddings being ruined and, Mm -hmm. you know, families in disaster. It's again, just don't poke the bear. Be nice to the doll. It's okay. You know, he's not, he's not going to hurt you to be a little nice. So. That's interesting. Yeah. I've read stories about Robert the doll. That's, that's just absolutely fascinating. When you think about the legends, you know, like I said, there's so much dark area in Florida, especially with the Everglades. I mean, yeah. I mean, could it be just? I mean, and I'm not, I'm not trying to knock any of this stuff down, but I mean, people that that have lived in the area, you know, will make stories, you know, will create these stories to scare each other. How many have you found that, like, like you see, you 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 always ask the Native American man, you know, is this true or not? In, in, in your studies and all this, how many stories have, have you been sent on that didn't pan out as opposed to how many you think have some meat and potatoes in it? Oh, quite a few were debunked, you know, like the devil's chair in Casadega. We, it's a morning chair. You know, of course, some paranormal teams have found some paranormal activity, but it was not built by the devil. Mm-hmm. And if you sit in it at midnight, you know, a dark presence will grant your wish, you know, or something along those lines no if you sit in at midnight a dark presence will show up it's the police because it's private property um but uh you know um you know so you know so some we debunk but then some you know like the ghost of flight 401 this is a plane crash in the everglades and you know there are survivors it's one of the worst plane crashes at that time in history and uh but the pilot and the engineer are seen what they did was they salvaged the plane and used the parts to fix other planes because it was a fairly new plane mm-hmm. and it wasn't in the worst shape that's why there were survivors uh but they used those parts on other planes and then their ghosts were seen on all these other planes mm-hmm. by stewardesses and plane crews that knew the original guys and so they would you know american airlines was like no we can't be the ghost airlines we have to you know you know we have to hide this so they would hide the books or they would force people into, you know, psychiatric help and all this stuff and, you know, suspending their pilot license so they wouldn't be allowed to talk about it and stuff. Um, the FAA actually investigated and made them change rules because of this. It's like you cannot change a plane's logbook. You cannot hide this and you can't punish a person for saying they saw a ghost. Mm-hmm. So that's actual federal document. You cannot per- punish a person because they saw a ghost. You know, so so there's actual documentation of this. And then the fact that the Eastern Airlines immediately pulled all the parts from all the other planes right. and then performed an exorcism, you know, and then suddenly no more problem. So um, it's unusual, uh, you know, so there's some meat behind that. Mm-hmm. But then some of these, we, you know, when we get into the real story, it's so much worse than the creepy legend. Uh, most famously is many lights in St. Petersburg where I live. It was a, um, it, on the South side of town, it was, uh, you know, it's mini lightning, the voodoo queen of St. Petersburg and her gator boys will steal your children on the North side of town. It was many lights. And if you said many lights, three times, these lights would come out and chase you, you chase your children, uh, and possibly take them away like aliens, you know, um, no mention of the Gator Boys, no mention of Mini Lightning. And um, and so we were digging into that story, trying to figure it out. I like the idea of a voodoo queen with a little all- alligator men that live in the sewers and steal your children. How, how can you not love that? But, you know, we start trying to figure out the real story. And it's like, okay, so Mini Lights, maybe that's a Mennonite. 
And, you know, and there was a boarding house fire in Gibsonton, which is across Tampa Bay that dealt with circus folk and it was run by a Mennonite. Uh, maybe that is, no, it didn't make sense. Uh, finally, we figured it out. We were in the St. Petersburg Museum of History, digging through the archives, and I was looking up another ghost story. And the, the answer literally fell in my lap, and it was a fan, like, that you would hold up to cool yourself off at a tourist attraction, mm -hmm. you know, in the 30s. And the fan had an alligator farm on it. And on the back was two African-American children thrown into an alligator pit being chased by alligators to entertain tourists. So beware of many lights was beware of the men with lights. The gator boys will steal your children. They were kidnapping children from the south side of town and throwing them into that alligator pit to entertain tourists. Wow. Not 1800s, 1930. So that's, that's crazy. So that's where the legend came from. And so again, spooky story, but the real history was so much worse. And, and that's, we find a lot of these stories where, you know, don't go there. Somebody died. That's why it's called the devil's tree. Don't go there. You know, you know, that's why it's the devil's den. That's if you swim down there, you might not come back. You know, um, that's the way these stories start. But then also, you know, we've been to haunted locations and seen some crazy things. We've been on some Bigfoot hunts and seen some prints in places where there shouldn't have been any prints. You know, nobody knew we were coming and there'd been literally swamps, and nothing, and then here's footprints, you know, uh, that make no sense, you know, that are giant, and you know, and that's you know, that's part of the fun. Now, in the dry season, is there ever a time when when the uh, I'm not saying the Everglades go dry, but portions of the Everglades go dry, and you're able to go in there and, and look for footprints and stuff. Oh yeah, no, there there are teams out there all the time, uh, uh, which surprises me, especially during the summer because it's just crazy hot and the mosquitoes will kill you if nothing else um but um let alone the alligator mating season is always fun uh but um uh but if you get you know you get out there there are there's a couple places uh that one of the famous lost cities is out there in the everglades there's a one of the, it was a tiger chief tiger tail it was where he hid and attacked you know the you know the white man uh that were invading his land and uh he had been forced here uh, because we forced them down to Florida because, hey, that's that's terrible land. Get them down there. We don't want anything to do with it. And then we realized, oh, crap, there's stuff down here we want. So now let's push them out west. Well, Tiger Tail fought back. That's where we got the Seminole Wars from. And um, and amongst others, you know, Geronimo and all these guys, you know, they, they all started down here in Florida. Uh, Billy Bowlegs, another one of my favorites. Uh, but uh, Tiger Tail, he was probably the most famous down here and did the most stuff. But he had a whole tribal city that is that sinks a lot down there you know uh but it comes up a couple times a year and there have been sightings of stuff in that area so you know people who go there to look for the history suddenly are stumbling out as bigfoot hunters because they're like what we saw something it was we went there to look for artifacts and we found that you know so it's it's amazing how many converts come out of there how hard is it? I mean, like, like if, if you have to go, look, if you know, if you guys are on an investigation in, in the Everglades, how hard is it to do an investigation? Because, like you say, you know, you, you got the mud, you got the water in there, you got that sawgrass stuff. I mean, it depends on where it's at. Like some areas are pretty easy because you, know, you just you go out on a boat, 
you know, one of those swamp buggies, uh, which are fantastic to ride on. There is a reason that everybody loves them because they are fun. Uh, and then you go out and then you get, and there are dry areas and it's just like anywhere else. And you know, it's just, but it's, you know, it's usually miles from anything. So, you know, you won't have cell signal. You won't have, you know, it's, it's some of the most remote places on earth. And you know, you're, you keep thinking Florida beach has got to be around here somewhere. No, it's a couple hundred miles away. There's, you know, there's 10,000 islands just off there basically is what they call it. And it really is. I mean, there's a reason the mob dumped bodies out there that they still haven't found. You know, it's, it's even with, you know, droughts and stuff like that to come through some of that area is never are going to be, you know, you know, ever emptied enough, but we encroach on it all the time. And that's why we see more and more unusual things and, why the Florida Panthers are moving around so much more and, and all that than they used to. And uh, why the brown, the brown bear and black bears are, you know, regaining and, and, uh, and encroaching on cities again, because we're moving in on their territory. So they got to go somewhere. So I, I am still of the opinion at some point, if, if, if Bigfoot skunk ape is ever found, it will be Florida because I think we expand so much here that eventually something's going to happen. Something's got to give. That's true. I agree with that. Tell me a little bit about the ghost story history. Oh, there's so many ghost stories in Florida. That's like I said, the third book, Creepy Florida, is all ghost stories, 150 some odd pages of ghost stories. Now, uh, some are, you know, famous, you know, like uh, the Vinoy in St. Petersburg, where it's so famously haunted that the baseball teams that play the Tampa Bay Rays are not allowed to be sequestered there because the Philadelphia uh, Phillies had such a scary time there that uh, they they demanded that that hotel be on a blacklist uh, because some ghosts scared their pitcher so bad, um, you know. But uh, and then you know you've got the Biltmore uh, Hotel down in Coral Gables, which uh, the ghost of Fatty Walsh, a gangster, was killed on the thirteenth floor in a speakeasy there, and uh, he was uh, one of Al Capone's gunmen, and. Uh, and that ghost was seen by President Clinton, who demanded to be moved into another room because he saw something unusual. And we only found that out because a Secret Service man, you know, let it know, you know, because otherwise it was all redacted and all that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, you know, so there's ghosts. I mean, St. Augustine, the oldest uh, European settlement in the in the U.S. People don't realize that it goes back way before Plymouth Rock. It's. 1560 uh yeah and um and that 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 ghosts there are a cottage industry i mean there's more ghost tours in that town than i think even salem uh and then um you know we got amelia island which was run by pirates for 50 years and that has ghosts and um my favorite haunted location is probably a place in brooksville called the may stringer house um it was a lady named May who married Doc Stringer after her first husband died mysteriously. Uh, then Doc Stringer runs his office out of there, takes care of weird patients and lots of disappearances and deaths and uh, other crazy things. Uh, so the house has numerous ghosts. It's now a museum. So they collect all these weird artifacts and they bring in more ghosts. Uh, there's a ghost in the attic called Mr. Nasty. Uh, I like to call him Gus because that's what most of the psychics have figured out. That's his name. Uh, he came in with an actor's trunk that got donated there. So he doesn't belong to the house. He belongs to the trunk. Uh, he's pretty famous. So people leave him a lot of offerings. 
There's a Jessie May, which is one of the daughters who died there on the second floor. Her ghost is seen a lot. Um, and people bring dolls and stuff for her. And now the problem is, is some of the dolls that people brought are haunted. And they've brought in other ghosts that are kind of bullying Jessie May. So it's kind of scary. Um, uh, James May, you know, no no relation to Top Gear James May. Uh, but he hung himself after World War One, coming home, finding out his wife had married someone else. So he hung himself from up in the attic. So there's lots of ghosts there. And this place is just incredible house. And paranormal teams book it up years out because it's just so much hot evidence they get out of that place and um and it's just north of tampa bay in the middle of nowhere so what do you think makes florida so active like that it's like the whole state's built on an indian burial ground or something but it is you know, so, yeah <laughs> but uh i think it's just it's you know if you go by the old school the ley lines all meet here from all the european ley lines everything bermuda triangle all that yeah. right here it all ties into Florida and, you know, even early settlers would come here and the natives would warn them away saying, this is a terrible place. And they'd be like, yeah, okay. But then the conquistadors came in and massacred everybody. And then when they left, the pirates came in and, you know, massacred what was left. And then after the pirates left, we had every European country in the world didn't want us, give us away, throw us away. This place is terrible. It's full of bugs, people shooting at you and, you know, get rid of it. Until finally the United States claims it and goes, great. And then Walt Disney comes down and goes, theme park. <laughs> and, that's, and then people don't think Florida existed before 1971. You know, right. so all that history is just gone. And that's what I try to save is, you know, get into that history and save it, find it, you know, recapture it. And that's the folklore is part of it. The ghost stories are part of it. But, you know, the other stuff's cool too. And, you know, and that's like I said, some of these books, the, the, that's why I kind of like Freaky Florida a lot. One of my, my second book was because we were able to debunk a bunch of stuff, but it was still cool historically. Mm-hmm. Or still just a cool place to visit that, you, you know, you wouldn't find on any other map. So, so we like doing that one. So it seems like and I've done investigations in, in towns like that before where there's just so many layers of stuff like, like, you know, like you talk about the pirates, you talk about the Native Americans, you talk about this other stuff. You know, I've been in, in, on vacations where with psychics that say, oh, oh well, oh, yeah, there's 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 1850-something here, you know, and then there's another layer I see that's like 1890-something, and they're just stacked on top of each other. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And, you know, like I said, I, I hit it on the devil's tree earlier. It's this old tree in Port St. Lucie that drips black sap, and if you collect the sap, it'll make your dark rituals more powerful and all this. Uh, but the story is in 1973, a serial killer, Gerard John Schaefer, tied people to that tree and did terrible things to them. So that's where the devil's tree comes from. Uh, but the legend is so much cooler. Uh, but um, yeah, and and some people say, well, the reason he was drawn there and the reason it wasn't him, it was the tree. The tree is what drew him there to create these rituals and stuff like that. Um and they've tried to kill the tree numerous times. They tried to chop it down, and the two guys trying to chop it down got in a car accident and died. Mm-hmm. So you know it, and they they sealed up the hole that was dripping the black sap with cement, hoping that would kill it. Mm-hmm. And now it's got an impervious cement trunk, and it just keeps growing. <laughs> so. That's interesting. So how many cases have have you gone on to check things out on? Oh my gosh, I've been doing this now for you know. A long time. I mean, I've been collecting stories since the 80s, but, uh, you know, doing the books and all that since then, uh, you know, it's it's 
got to be over a thousand, but it's, uh, it's, um, but I mean, but that's everything that's ghosts. That's monster, Bigfoot hunts. That's UFO hunts. That's, uh, interviews, all that. But, and a lot of that was the new book, Erie Appalachia. So I did up and down the Appalachian trail and, uh, you know, I don't, I can't, I lost count of how many interviews I did for that book. So, and, and investigations. So that went on and stuff. Cause they're every team that I reached out to was so gracious. And it's like, yeah, come on. We want you to document. And, you know, and it was great. You know, so. Awesome. Tell me about UFOs now. Well, let's see. We've got tons, you know, most famous was Gulf breeze sightings in the 1980s. That was where the, the Gulf breeze UFOs were seen by hundreds and uh, famous Ed Walters photos came out where he was taking these beautiful, crisp, amazing photos of the aliens that were landing on his street. Um, and then sadly, when he moved out of his house, they went into his attic and they found the model that he'd been using and hiding in his attic. And he said it was planted by the government. But even if he did fake it, why were there so many hundreds of other sightings in that same area at the same time? You know, those weren't debunked. Uh, and those, that area is a super hot spot to this day. Uh, it's right near Eglin Air Force Base and Pensacola Naval Base. So we think a lot of those sightings are secret projects that just haven't been unveiled. Um, so that, that kind of leans that way. But then we've got sightings, you know, all over the state. Uh, most, the one that sent me up to Appalachia was uh, 1952 during the big 1952 UFO flap. Uh, you know, UFOs were seen over Washington, D.C. UFOs were seen a lot of places um, and they're all over the papers. But in Miami, there's uh, an area near North Miami called Crestview area. And they had a Crestview Elementary and a kid's out there and he's looking up at this guy and he sees this weird thing. And recess is over. So they call the other kids in and this kid, Jimmy, just won't go in. He's like, there's something up there. So a teacher comes out. What are you looking at? Look at that. And the teacher looks and it's a classic saucer with a, you know, turret top and, you know, spinning. And, and then it just takes off super fast. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, whatever it is, it's gone. Let's go inside. So kid and the teacher see it. Next day, everybody at school, what the hell did Jimmy see? Because Jimmy wouldn't shut up about it, you know. And, and so, you know, but everybody's just thinking it's just something weird. Again, nearby Coast Guard base nearby air force base so it could be anything um but it comes back and it brings friends and it gets close it flies right across from the school and it's got that big saucer with the turret top mm -hmm. the classic you know description but then it's got these little things that fly around it that look like little spheres and balls you know like inside of balls and spinning around and doing dances and they, what we now describe as the Tic Tacs that we've, that have recently been coming out. Um, and hundreds of kids see it. Teachers see it. There's dozens and dozens of witnesses now. This is not hiding. You know, and they all come running out of the school. There's nobody staying in the classrooms for this. This is amazing. They all come running out. And it's in this field across from the school behind this big fence. And it, they, they're putting on a show. And then they fly into the trees. And it's like they enter a portal. And disappear according to everyone because everybody thinks they're going to crash into the trees and they just Phew. but then the big one comes back does a couple spins and then takes off into the sky amazing speed bravo right the 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 ultimate sighting nobody 
you know, they all go inside. This is the craziest day ever. The military show up and start interviewing all the students. What did you see? What did you see? They start bringing in students. They start bringing in teachers. One of the teachers says, well, it kind of hovered like a helicopter. So the next day, the newspapers say, UFO sighted over school were just helicopters. Hmm. And it's just washed away. Nobody talks about it for dozens of years. Mm-hmm. It's like it should be Roswell big, but mm-hmm. nobody talks about Crestview. Until advent of social media and now the declassification of the Navy stuff. And a lot of these kids are now in their 60s and 70s and are going, hey, that's what I saw. You know, some of them are even in their 80s, you know, and they reach out to the creepy Florida guy and say, hey, I saw a UFO in 1952. And, uh, and so I start looking into it. And I start interviewing these people and start talking to these people. And the thing that gets me is I talked to this one guy. Uh, he's in public office down there. So, you know, he was one of the witnesses and he had the book when his dad came or when they, when they came to visit him, the military men came to visit him in his house to interrogate him. His dad had a little, you know, address book, you know, journal type thing where they wrote down phone numbers and things, uh, you know, every call. And he has the day and he has the, 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 the names of the military men who came. And I'm thinking, all right, Freedom of Information Act, I can I can look these guys up and I can see if they have family members who might know something, all this. I'm all excited. And I look at the names and it's uh, Captain Sinclair from the Coast Guard. Unusual name. I might find something. I still haven't gotten anything yet, but I did reach out. Uh, the next one was like a, a Captain Smith from the Air Force. All right. That's, you know, that's not going to help me much. Uh, but the third name was the one that got me. It said Government Man. Cold, cold, cold was the name. Wow. And now I started doing some math and I'm like, wait a minute, 1952. This is in May. Just a few months earlier is the Derenberger incident up in West Virginia mm-hmm. with Indrid cold. And where in, or a man in West Virginia saw an alien who talked to him named Indrid cold. And, um, who was very similar to a men in black style encounter. Mm-hmm. And so now here's a government man interviewing this kid. And so I asked him, I said, who do you remember the government man? And he said, well, he didn't say anything. He just kind of smiled. Well, Indrid Cold is known as the smiling man. Mm-hmm. And um, so now we have a connection between the 1952 sighting. So is Indrid Cold working for the government? What the hell? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was why my next Florida book was going to have three chapters on Ohio, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. So I had to do, to talk Indrid Cold. I have to talk Mothman. To talk Mothman. You got to talk Grafton. To talk Grafton, you got to talk Flatwoods, and you know. And so that's so. There you go. So Florida has a tie to Mothman, and that's in the new book. Fascinating. This hour has gone by so fast. <sighs> Sorry. Well, I could talk. With, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> I got I got three books worth of Florida stories and yeah. now a book of Appalachian stories so you can find them all. So I'll, I'll have to do that. I mean, this was really fun. I want to thank you for coming on. My pleasure. So sorry about last time where things got a little screwed up, but we're here. So we're here. We did this. We did it. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have so much to think about tonight after the show. <laughs> thank you. No problem. I would love to have you on again sometime. Yes. Gladly. Uh, like I said, I'm speaking at Dragon Con in a couple weeks and then Mothman a couple weeks after that. And then, Cryptid Con in Kentucky, uh, early November. So, you know, 
after Thanksgiving, things will calm down and I can probably All right. arrange some things. But you can find me at Erie, Florida, uh, erieflorida.com. Uh, Erie Travels uh, on a lot of on TikTok. It's Erie Travels TV because that's our little local TV show down here in Tampa Bay. You can find that on YouTube, uh, Erie Travels. And, um, you know, so but if you, you order books from Erie, Florida, come straight from me and my lovely wife, the illustrator who brings all these monsters to life. So fantastic. All right, sir. You have a good rest of your evening and thank you so much. All right. You too. And a plane to Florida if my paranormal team will start, start poking around. Come on down. I'll steer you the right direction. So Sounds we'll good, see you on the other side. All right. See you later, sir. Bye-bye. All right. That was really cool. That was really fun. Thank you. Thank you again for coming on, sir. I appreciate it. Tomorrow, we're shifting gears again. Well, we're, we're not taking our foot off the gas pedal tomorrow. Gabe Allen is going to be with us. Gabe Allen is going to be talking about law enforcement and the paranormal. So we're going to be discussing that tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, same time. Same time as tonight. Uh, a quick announcement. My psych, I'm going to be teaching a psychic development class one, and that's going to be on Saturday, September 3rd at 5 p.m. Pacific. So if you guys want to, you know, do that and learn how, learn whether or not you have psychic abilities or how, how to start building them up, I will teach you how to do that. Uh, there's a course syllabus listed on the, on, on the uh, meetup site. And meetup, if you go and join the California House meetup, there's no cost to join the meetup. That's where we have the announcements for all these classes. So that's your best bet, you know, to sign up for the classes over at California Hunts Meetup. Also, also the following weekend, the following Saturday on the 10th, 5 p.m. Pacific, I'm going to be teaching the second level psychic development classes, and that's psychic, psychic development two. And that goes more in depth than I did with psychic, than I do with psychic development one. Plus, we're looking at what your talents might be, because not every not not every psychic can do everything psychically some specialize in certain part you know certain things like clear audience you know clairvoyance things like that that's what we focus on in the second class to see where your focus might be okay that's also available at the california haunts meetup so go check that out and again it costs nothing to join the california haunts meetup all right so don't be afraid that it's going to be a membership thing because it's not but that's where i list most you know the majority of my classes so the psychic development class one is saturday september 3rd at 5 p.m pacific Psychic Development Class 2 is Saturday, September 10th at 5 p.m. Pacific. Okay? All right. Anyway, uh, if you're watching from Facebook and you like the show, please hit that follow button. If you're watching from Twitch or any of those others, please hit the follow button. And especially if you're watching from YouTube, we're looking for subscribers. There's a little uh, ghost down the bottom right-hand corner with a magnifying glass and a Sherlock Holmes hat on. And please... Click on that, and that will make you a subscriber to the show, okay? And uh, what that does is that you will get, when I post these things, you know, that they're going to be coming on, I don't know how, how it works, you get a ding, you get a notice from YouTube or whatever, but it, it, it'll let you know when these shows are coming up. Anyway, I wanna, again, I want to thank everybody for coming. Um, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five, five people you hate. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Also, visit us at CaliforniaHaunts.org for the for the paranormal team or californiahauntsradio.com all right and also uh california haunts acts kind of as a, as a non-profit and everything comes out of my pocket because i'm the boss <laughs> i own it so if something breaks like the lights uh you know the mic this you know if anything breaks or if the paranormal team needs any new equipment or anything like that 
I pay for it, and uh, just like the internet and all that good stuff to keep the show on the air. We've been, in fact, we're going on our third year anniversary is coming up here for the show, and uh, so we need help. You know, we do need help keep, keeping the lights on, as they say. So if you could find it in your heart to do that, that would be great. You can do that at PayPal.me at California Haunts, or if you'd like, Venmo California Haunts as well. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. I, I will give you some information on on Mr. Muncie's books. Give me a second here to get back into my clicker window here. I have a fly in here. This is just craziness. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to show you Mr. Muncie's books and uh, his information with his website. And here we go. That is erieflorida.com. Erie, Florida is the one book. And you've got Creepy Florida and Tales of Terror from Tampa Bay. Excuse me. And those books can be gotten at Amazon or, as Mr. Muncy said, order them on his website. Okay, guys, I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a nice evening.